The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. But if y'all waiting on me to apologize, hell gonna oh, freeze. Wait. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Points in the Paint podcast presented by Stadium Ben Wittenstein. And of course, Zach Badger House is in the house. Zach, we finally saw each other in person, socially distanced, last night for the first time in like a year. It's nearly a year for sure. I think the last time we saw each other was in like March of last year. And so, yeah, man, it was good seeing you. You know, it was definitely good seeing you. And uh, I got the chance to meet your roommate, so it was pretty dope. You guys watching some basketball, of course. We were on the clock, you know, doing our thing. You know, ordered yeah. some pizza. Pizza went a little left, you know, in terms of delivery. They, but you guys got food twice, right? We did. We got two orders of three different types of pizzas, so six pizzas <laughs> in total. So listen, if anybody needs some pizza in the Chicago area, <laughs> our house is open. You can come get some get some slices of some good pizza. So we are going to be drowning in the pizza for the next week. <laughs> I think that's going to be my diet. That's going to be real uh, bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not going to be great, but we appreciate everyone listening. It's getting into the middle of February, so it's, you know, dark times, lots of snow, lots of cold. So we always appreciate everyone listening and taking part of their day to listen to the Points in the Paint podcast. Got a lot of good stuff going on. We got our uh, a guest on, and if you're a Bulls fan, of course, you should listen to this. Stefan No is our guest. He's a Bulls writer. He does some great tweets about the Bulls, uh, analyzing defensive strategies, talking about Zach Levine a lot looking at coaching decisions. His his Twitter is a must-follow for any Bulls fan out there. Stefan No um, is on Twitter, and you're going to be hearing from him later on in the episode talking everything Bulls. And it's going to be so great to have him on. I can't wait to really see what he has to say about my main man, Zach Levine. I think he's improved a lot, and so I want to see where his mind is on my boy, Zach Levine. So it's going to be great to hear from him. And Zach Levine, speaking of Zach Levine, listen, I don't, no, Zach, if he is an MVP candidate yet, I don't think he's playing at that level, but it is starting to become that time of year around this time of the season where people start talking about the MVP conversation. So with that being said, our story of the week, our top story tonight is going to be focused on MVP season. It's finally time to talk about some MVP because there are some pretty good candidates We're talking LeBron James. We're talking Joel Embiid, my boy Nikola Jokic, Kevin Durant sneaking in there a little bit. It's a pretty tightly packed field right now. And if you were, you know, gun to my head, you're asking me who is my MVP right now. If we had to vote, I think I would have to go LeBron James. But, you know, if you're saying you want Joel Embiid there, I'm not going to yell at you. I would love Jokic to win MVP as well. I think those three guys are really my top three at this point in the season. Yeah, but there are some honorable mentions. There are some honorable mentions. And listen, you got to give these guys their flowers while they're here in this league performing the way that they are. Now, I got to say, 
You're right. Jokic, Embiid, LeBron, those have to be the top three. You know, obviously, you got Jokic averaging nearly a triple-double with 27 a game. Then you got Joel who's playing lights out for the Sixers. The, the Embiid that we wanted the season before where he said he was rooting, he was trying to get that number one seed and trying to get MVP. He's a little year behind, but he's still performing well. You know what I'm saying? He's getting nearly 30 points a game with a double-double. So that you love to see that. But then you got LeBron James being... Year 18, man. He's jumping out the gym still. Year 18. He's 36. You heard the little meme video. He's 36, man. It's ridiculous. But the other guys that I got to mention, man, and we talked about him when he went over there to Phoenix, Chris Paul and my man up there in Oregon, in Northwest Pacific. Let me, yeah, you know, that little area over there. Dame Dollar. It's Dame time. And we got to talk about Dame Dollar and Chris Paul in the MVP conversation. Yeah, I mean, you look at their per, their points per game. Dame's got 29 points a game, 29.2, which is right on par with what Joel Embiid's averaging per game. Um, I think he's averaging like 29.6. So points per game-wise, Damian Lillard is playing well. And I think really the only thing against Dame at this point is Portland just isn't playing well as well as Philly or the Lakers or the Clippers with with Kawhi Leonard. So I think that's the really the only thing at this point holding him back is the play of his team. And, you know, if we see the, the Trailblazers make a bit of a run in the second half of the season and they start playing better and they become a, a serious threat in the Western Conference, we're going to see Dame's name shoot up the list of MVP candidates. I think it has to, you know, I think Melo's playing well as of late, you know, with no CJ. There's been no CJ for the Portland Trailblazers right now. And that's the story. And it's the story every year, it seems like, with the Portland Trailblazers when it comes to Damian Lillard. Someone's always missing. Someone that's valuable yep. to their team is always missing. You got you got CJ McCollum this year. Last year, it's Nurkic. This year, it's Nurkic again. And so you have both of those guys out. And then we preach Zach Collins as well, another guy that, you know, contributes to their team, the Portland Trailblazers. And so when you're missing three key pieces and you have to rely on Gary Trent Jr. to elevate his game even more, you got to get those minutes from Anthony Simmons. When you have all that take place to substitute for a missing, you know, all-star like CJ McCollum, you got to rise to the occasion, and that's what Damian Lillard does time in and time out. Yeah, he has – he's truly been one of the bright spots so far in this league, and one of the bright spots for the Trailblazers. Now, if we're talking about real candidates at this point in time, players who we really think have a shot to win the MVP, we can always talk about LeBron. And as you said, 18th season, the guy is carrying this Lakers team. He helped them win – what was it, three – Straight overtime. overtime games. I mean, he was crazy. the reason they won those three straight overtime games. Absolutely, 100% was the reason. And they're going to be missing uh, Anthony Davis, it looks like, because of the Achilles. It looks like he's aggravated his Achilles, and he didn't return into their previous game against the Denver Nuggets. And so that's going to be the question, too, with LeBron, you know, carrying all those minutes, like you said, three overtimes, playing 40-plus minutes, three straight games, year 18 at 30. Look, context always matters. I don't care yes. what anyone says. Context always matters. You got KD over there in Brooklyn, too, right? You know what I'm saying? He's getting over 30, and they look good offensively. Now, they're a disaster defensively, and we talked about it. DeAndre Jordan can't guard a parked car. However, nope. Kevin Durant is doing what he has to do, and they're playing at an elite level, too, out there in Brooklyn. Yeah, and and Brooklyn, it's weird because, you know, three weeks ago we were going to – we were talking about them kind of being a mess and the, the trade not really working out for them, and 
it didn't really look like they could be a team that played any defense. And and they've kind of righted the ship a good amount, um, especially, you know, if you're looking at betting wise, they've done a pretty good job with that recently. But I, I do think you look at our top two people, Zach, right? You have Jokic and you have Embiid. Would you say those are, it's fair to put them as top two? Yeah, it's pretty fair. I mean, you can't deny what Denver is doing. You can't deny that. You can't deny the numbers from Jokic either. He just, you know, the 47 points. Yeah, you know, he's going bananas in terms of the stat sheet. So, you know, you have to consider Jokic without question. And we mentioned it before. They The Denver Nuggets did get off to a rocky start. Yep. But they got some of their players returning. You know, MPJ is kind of, you know, getting his getting his way back, getting the feel. I think Jamal Murray has to kind of elevate his game a little bit more because I think they're, you know, putting a lot on Jokic right now. But as far as I'm concerned, yeah, you have to consider him. And you got to – I like I like what you did there. You know, you put it on the bigs because this is a league right now where it's, you know, all about the guards. And it looks like right now two MVP candidates right now can be Joel Embiid and Jokic at the top two. I think so too. And I think – it would be the first time if Jokic or Embiid won. I think it would be the first time in almost 20 years since an MVP winner is a center. Who was it, Shaq? Let's, I, I, I can only imagine. Shaq. Yeah, 1999 <laughs> to 2000. Shaquille O'Neal was the MVP. He was the last center to win MVP. So over 20 years ago was the last center. And, and listen, if you give it to Jokic, you give it to Embiid. I, I think both guys are equally uh Equally good to have win that award. I just think Joel, just by a smidge, and I hate saying it because I love Jokic, but I think Embiid is my number one, specifically just because of the 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 output that he has had this season and how good we have seen the 76ers play. Um, and I know that that team has changed a lot because of the shooting and the addition of Seth Curry and Doc Rivers has really revitalized Tobias Harris's career in Philadelphia. But, I mean, the, the amount of times Embiid gets to the line, first of all, he gets to the line 11 times a game. He shoots 11 free throws a game, which is far and away the most out of any of these candidates. Um, the next in line is Giannis, who shoots about nine free throws a game. So free throw-wise, Embiid has completely revitalized his game in terms of just forcing fouls, getting to the line. And he said in interviews, he said, that that's my strategy. I'm trying to get these centers who are guarding me into foul trouble early on. And it seems to be working pretty well. He, he's shooting the, the mid-range jumper as efficiently he as he's ever shot. And he seems literally, Zach, this season, he seems impossible to guard. No, he listen, he has a few games already this season where he's went out and had like 25 or 30 points in the first half alone. Now, yeah. they may have won or even lost, you know, a few of those games. But the dominance that he's been able to perform at an elite level right now, Joel Embiid, in terms of, you know, working the mid-range, in the paint, shooting the catch-and-shoot three from, from a Ben Simmons, looking for him around the perimeter, man – he has to be number one for me too. You know, Joel and B would probably be my number one. Jokic would probably be three for me. And I would have to put LeBron ahead of him. And then Damian Litter is my fourth and Kevin Durant's my fifth, but they're neck and neck. But yeah, I got to have Damian Lillard up there. And I got to mention my man's Chris Paul. He's turned around the Phoenix Suns, man. Everywhere he goes, they get better. And so that has to be mentioned. Got to give that my man's man's like Chris the- Paul some credit here. He's like the revitalizer. That dude, wherever he goes now, he went to Oklahoma City last year, bam, playoff team, dangerous. They were one of the best teams against the spread last season. Goes to Phoenix, does the same exact thing, mentors these young guys, plays really well in clutch moments, and he elevates the play of everyone around him. It's it's kind of amazing to see him just touring around the NBA to some of these younger teams 
and to suddenly just make them play so much better. And he's gotten Aiden so much better. He's given Devin Booker and another elite level of confidence from the defensive side of the ball because we know that's one of the areas in Devin, Book- Devin Booker's game where he struggles with is on defense. But then he's playing elite since returning from injury. Last five games, he's played outstanding. I sent you the stats. Man, he's playing exceptionally well. And the Phoenix Suns are currently on a streak. Chris Paul's playing well on defense. He's scoring the ball more in clutch situations. I got to give Chris Paul his flowers for that MVP shot while it's while it's here, while he's while it's buzzing. And Phoenix is buzzing right now. And he's a, he has a lot to do with it. Oh, 100 percent. They've won six in a row. As of this recording, they've won six games in a row. They're fourth in the West, which I don't you know, we saw the Suns go eight. No, in the bubble. And we, we knew that maybe this season they were going to take that step forward as a bit of improvement as a team. But to be fourth in the West, almost midway through the season is it's really impressive. And, and again, I think you're right. That goes, you know, 75% because of what Chris Paul has done with that team. And look who's right underneath. Portland's right there, knocking on the door, mm-hmm. too. Right there. Why? Damian Lillard. 100%. And listen, I know this is a pro Dame Lillard podcast. We are <laughs> we are all over Dame Lillard trying to win the MVP. So it, it's like picking between two children, right? Damian Lillard and Nikola Jokic for me, that's impossible. You can't, I, I can't decide. And I would love to see Jokic. Again, and I've said this, I would love to see Jokic win the MVP award because of the speech that he would give, I think would be awesome. I'd love <laughs> to hear him give a speech and see what he would be like publicly speaking. Um, he would be great at it. I have no doubt about it. I think he would be funny, intelligent, raw humor. The guy is a savant. I would love to see that. But also Dame Lillard winning MVP, Zach, would be unbelievably fun. The I think that would on be cake for his awesome. career. Because oh, I who, like who, who knows if Damian Lillard wins a championship in Portland? You know, I love the loyalty. I love the dedication. I love the grind that he goes out and he puts for that organization because he's not scared. He, if anybody wants to go play with him, come to Oregon. You know, that's just how he's that's how it's clear cut with him. You know, if you want to yeah. you want to build a super team, you got to come to me. Otherwise, you know, I'm staying here. I'm loyal to this organization. And this is where it's at. And I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the high level he goes out and brings every night on the floor. And it shows because, you know, he's a, he's my he's on my MVP watch he's on my list you got to respect the guy who stays with his team and, and who shows loyalty and through thick and thin type of thing and and he has done that and, and they've tried to build around him and it just sucks because they they are always always injured every season there's some big player that gets injured for them and I, I just I mean it's happened since all the way back in 2006 2007 it's it's happened for like 15 years in Portland it's such a shame, but you know, that just goes to show you the high level that he's going to go out there and perform. And he's taking Damian Lillard's taking care of his body, you know, go, to go out there and perform well, not to say that CJ isn't or anything like that, but you know, that Dame has just been able to sustain himself and play at a high level for this long, you know, going all the way back to when they had LaMarcus Aldridge and a Nicholas Batum and a Wesley Matthews. So going all the way back then, all the way till here now in 2021, that's at least a nine to 10 year run. So he has to be considered for MVP gotta be so, at least considered a hundred percent. And I, and I think I would, I would definitely put him in the top five um, at this point in the season, but right now it seems like Embiid is sort of the consensus number one. Now the 76ers have struggled on their road trip out West. Um, they have lost two in a row. They have not looked great on the offensive side of the ball. They've been a little bit tired and, and in fact, lazy on the defensive side. So we'll see if they can snap back after this road trip and, and look like the old 76ers that we've seen. Now they're missing Shake Milton with injuries, of course, and that's, you know, a bigger piece than I think a lot of people realize. But they need to start getting things back together because the Bucks 
Again, the Bucks are right behind them. Now, they've lost three in a row. So, again, and I think this matters a lot, Zach, because if your team is not, what, in the top three or something like that, you're just not really going to be involved in the MVP conversation, no matter how good you're playing. Unless, no, hold on now, unless you're a guy like Russell Westbrook, Go out. Yeah, you're doing something ridiculous. You got to say, you know, you go out and do something crazy. (laughs) Triple double over here. Yeah, you know, you can definitely be considered. But, you know, like I said, context matters. You know, Chris Paul, the turnaround, that's a story. You know, league love a story. You know, a team that wasn't in the playoffs the year before, they had a lot of momentum, won eight games, still didn't make it. Chris Paul comes over. They're right there in the middle of the playoff hunt. That's a story. League love a story. So that's something to consider. Kevin Durant, obviously, right? 18 months off, comes back, looks like himself, like him, him, right? (laughs) So, you know, Kevin Durant, that's a story. League love a story. So that's something you can always consider, too, for MVP with Kevin Durant because he is playing well. You know, he's 30, getting 30. Looks like he hasn't missed a beat since returning from the Achilles injury. So you got KD out there and, you know, Brown, obviously, year 18, 36, doing what he does. (laughs) <laughs> and ultimately, I think you're 100% right that voters love voting for the story. They love the storylines. If you've got a good story, you're going to get more votes, even if you maybe not don't deserve the MVP. And if Joel Embiid continues to play at the level that he's playing for the rest of the season, the 76ers continue to be the number one overall seed, I think it's really hard to not vote against away. Embiid mm-hmm. as the MVP. But people love LeBron, and we saw people last season vote for LeBron James simply because of the story and the story of him continuing to play at a high level as he gets older, it will always be there for as long as he's in the NBA. And it's just going to continue to get stronger. You know, year 20 in two years, if he continues (laughs) to play at this level, he's going to win MVP. It's going to be almost impossible to not vote for LeBron year 20, averaging 25 points a game to not be the MVP. But his only competition at this point, Zach, I think is Joel Embiid and the Lakers somehow find themselves and Anthony Davis comes back from injury and they overtake the jazz at the number one seed. It's going to be hard to wrestle that MVP away from LeBron. I agree. I definitely agree with that. Who's making us some money this week though. All right, let's go to betting corner. And Zach, I will say this. I feel, I truly feel bad for the people who have not listened to this podcast or who skipped over betting corner or who did not even take our advice from betting corner, because if you did, You made some cash last week. The Utah Jazz, as we said, Zach, last week, best team against the spread. At the time, they were 17 and and 7 against the spread. We said, bet the Utah Jazz. Bet the Jazz. They are going to win you games. They're going to win you money. And guess what? 3-0 last week. They did not lose a game against the spread last week. 3-0. You made money with the Jazz. And they're just rolling. They are rolling. Now, player prop-wise, I took some things and I was successful with the Utah Jazz last week. But I, I ain't gonna, I'm not going to lie. I went against the grain a little bit with the Utah Jazz when they played against, against the Milwaukee. The Jazz, I you? definitely bet it against. I listen, Ooh, I bet against. Man, you didn't even take our own advice. The Utah Jazz. Only one time, though, when they played against my boy. You know, they went up against Giannis. You know I got to roll with my man Giannis against Rudy Gobert. But what's so crazy is after the game when they lost – Giannis gave the Utah Jazz some praise. Like he's saying, they're kind of for real over there. You know, they're playing exceptionally well. He's giving them a lot of credit. They moving the ball. They doing the right things with the pick and roll. Like he, Giannis, after the game when they lost to the Utah Jazz, which he he played well, but he didn't come out the gate playing well. Like they got off to a very slow start. I think they were down by at least 20 points before uh, the end of the first half, and so they didn't play very very well at all. But he did have a triple double. Giannis did. 
But the Jazz are playing so well. But I just thought Giannis was going to go out there and end the little streak they had going on. Didn't take place. The Jazz are just so fun to watch. And the Bucks are the opposite of that. Right now, <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. they're One team is super fun, and the other is just you're sitting there scratching your head, just always annoyed. Even if they're playing well, you're just annoyed at the Bucks for some reason. I don't understand why. I don't know what they do that annoys me so much. Maybe it's just they play lackadaisically. They they sometimes just don't look like they really care or even want to be there. They, they I think they come out with the attitude of like we have Giannis, we have Chris Middleton, we're, we should win this game, and then <laughs> they end up slow starting, and then they can't come back. You know, against the Thunder, they had a shot to win. They were down three. They were down two at the time. You have Giannis. How are you not winning this game when you're only down two Ooh, with eight minutes to go in the game? We're going to get it, into that later. So, I, a player brought that up, so we're going to get into that. <laughs> it, it makes me furious. So I'm glad to see the Jazz great against the spread. I mean, I, it's hard to say stop betting against the Jazz. I think you just have to continue hitting them. They, they've just been great. They win games with their three-point shot. Their pick-and-roll games almost impossible to defend. They play good defense. They're, they're the team to bet on. They're the team to bet on right now. Um, some other teams, I guess you wanted to hit on, Zach. Phoenix Suns um, against the spread have been doing pretty well recently. Yeah, they're doing relatively well. Second I, in the not, league right now against the second in, Yeah, they're second in the league. And so I just had to mention them. And, of course, like I said, they're streaking right now, playing good offense, very good offense. So I would recommend, you know, in terms of uh, player props, I definitely aim a little towards Chris Paul for sure in terms of assist total. And I would definitely uh, go after Devin Booker's point total. I would definitely do those because the backcourt for the Phoenix Suns have been playing very well. And a buddy of mine was definitely successful with the Chris Paul assist total and the Devin Booker assist total last week. Yeah, I had a friend who's been doing the Chris Paul assist total. And and for some reason, it's like continually undervalued for some reason. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know if they think like other players are getting the offense involved or they're sharing the sugar. But, you know, Chris Paul, he's holding the ball pretty much a, a lot in that offense, which brings me to this point, I think. A lot of people, if with player props with DeAndre Ayton, probably feel like sometimes he's hit or miss. I would probably stay away from DeAndre Ayton in terms of point total. And, yeah, probably just with point total because you never know how many times or how often he's going to get the ball depending on who who they play. So pay attention closely to the matchup for Aiden, and that will really be the true judgment if you want to go there with the point total. Now, rebounds, he does an exceptional job on the rebounds. I think he was only – I think he only missed his over once last week in terms of rebound total, DeAndre Aiden. And so, you know, you can definitely bet the rebounds with uh, with Aiden. All right. The team to go uh, as far away as possible from Cleveland Cavaliers. I think they've lost seven in a row at this point. They're 10 and 18 against the spread. Worst team in the NBA against the spread. They're just you just don't want to bet anything regarding that team at any point during this season right now. They're just too volatile. Yeah, and you know they're not playing Andre Drummond, a guy who they were pl- who was playing very well from them to come out the gate early in the season. Now they're not playing him. I believe it's He's because gone. of the like the trade rumors, you know, and how that's cycling yep. as we get closer and closer to the dra- uh, the trade deadline here in the NBA. And so when you have that situation, they're just like, hold on, we're gonna put you on hold here. So you already got no Kevin Love as he's trying to come back. You know, granted, uh, Kevin Love is trying to come back for Cleveland. There hasn't been any trade surfacing, although that that weird situation on IG being in Brooklyn with the proposal, whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But you but you have a situation with Drummond where they're choosing not to play him because of this idea that they're gonna be trading him soon. 
Yeah, it's just anytime you see a team that's the worst against the spread, you want to you want to stay away. It's just unless you love living on the edge and you just love losing money, I guess that's that's the way to go. You better you can take Colin Sexton, though. I'll give you that. Okay, that's fair. I think the Colin Sexton overs on player props are never the worst idea. Rebound assist totals. Yeah, I've seen guys get successful with uh, assists and rebound totals throughout the game with him because, you know, they they sell him a little low and he goes out there and he succeeds at, you know, going out, getting on the glass, getting the team out in transition, getting guys involved, getting alley-oops to Larry Nance. And so although they may not cover the spread. You can get a couple players out there with them that may be successful for you. You may get a, you know, Colin Sexton. You may even get some uh, Darius Garland. I know guys who really go out there and bet with Darius Garland sometimes, and they may even be successful. I'd be surprised. <laughs> you know some degenerate people then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best over team continues to be the Denver Nuggets. If you listened to us last week, you would have won money on last night's game with the Lakers. Definitely. That went over. Money. Because I won me some money, folks. Pit, listen, pot, listen, points in the painters, listen closely. You got to mess with the Denver Nuggets on the over tip. I'm telling you, you definitely you have to look at the Denver Nuggets and take. It was only 217 last night. I couldn't believe it, man. It was only yeah. 217. I couldn't believe yeah, it. I hammered the over. <laughs> you, you say in the back of your mind, you say, listen, points in the paint, Denver Nuggets over, bam, money in your pocket. Every time. Every time. Best under team, New York Knicks, which I'm really surprised. I think this is the first time they are the best under team uh, in the NBA on, on that list. Nine and 19. They hit the they have hit the under 19 times out of 28 games. Um, so they I mean, obviously, their defense is has been phenomenal it's... under Tom Thibodeau. So, I mean, I think betting the under betting the New York Knicks team total unders. If you really want to get risky, I think could be a, a pretty solid bet, too. Um, but anything under go with the Knicks. All right, I think it's time to talk to Stefan No, NBA Bulls writer. So we'll uh, we'll go to that interview. Bulls fans, listen closely. All right, we want to welcome in Stefan No, NBA and Bulls writer, bylines uh, in the Athletic, SB Nation. You do some great dive-ins to Bulls games uh, on Twitter as well. Stefan, appreciate you joining us. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. So Bulls-centric, um, I'm a big Bulls fan, and a lot of people who listen Bulls fans as well. So this team has been really interesting this year, and I think the main question that I have for you, and, and hopefully you can answer, is what exactly are the Bulls this year? Are they a good team that, that's getting better throughout the season? Are they a better team than they were last year that could possibly still be playing better than they are? Are they still a bad team that needs to make some changes? What do you think the Bulls are this year? Well, that's a really good way to frame the question because I would say that the Bulls right now are a team that needs to pick a direction. They could be any of those teams, and they've kind of been hedging this season in a number of different paths. So um, you say you your listeners a lot are composed of Bulls fans, so they should know that you know the starting lineup for this team is really young. In fact, I saw a statistic the other day that like their average age for the lineup they rolled out at the start of the season is younger than Wisconsin's average age for their starting lineup, University of Wisconsin. So that just gives you an idea of how they structure these minutes with a lot of the young guys as starters and then a lot of their smarter veterans who are more win now players off the bench. And that formula has been uh it's been really stark if you just look at the on off numbers. So yeah, they've been uh I don't think they've been rolling out their best lineups in terms of trying to win games because if that was true then you know usually these teams that are like i think like uh for example if kobe white was on uh you know like a real contending team he would definitely not be playing this much i I think that's pretty fair and 
Same for a lot yeah. of these other guys. I don't mean to just single out Kobe White, but yeah, they're they're trying to have it both ways right now. They're trying to play their young players huge minutes and then trying to win games late with um, these veterans because yeah, the the games the lineups they're closing with are not the same as the lineups that they're starting with. So I mean, um, they they've kind of uh they I think they've definitely been better than last year, um, but it's been pretty difficult to balance these two forces that are kind of polar opposites. So they're they're gonna have to choose at some point in the season which way they want to go. Stefan No here with us on Points in the Pain podcast. Let's talk Zach Levine for a second. First, should he be an all-star? And second, what do you think his future is with the Chicago Bulls? So I think that Zach should definitely be an all-star this year. I think he's pretty clearly a top 24 player. Uh, I know the East, there's a lot of fringe players in those last couple spots. And this is not like the East of past years where some of these um, – players that are sneaking in were not very good but I mean ultimately it's going to come down to the coaches anyway and I think that he's going to struggle there because his game is not one that is um he, he's a player that definitely has warts and I think that coaches are more um apt to pick guys who are more like fundamentally sound in a bunch of different areas but to his credit I actually I just released this like 25 minute deep dive on Levine's defense and I think he's improved pretty drastically on that end. I think that um, his reputation as a player is not really what the reality is for him. So uh, given that, you know, the biggest flaws in his game previously were, I think, his playmaking and his defense, and he's always been a great scorer. He's gotten even better this year. He's improved those weakness areas. So, I mean, I don't think it's even close when you look at the top 12 guys in the East. I think he's, like, probably in top eight or nine player range. So you should definitely jump a bunch of those guys, but uh, I am, I'm not sure if the coaches are going to see it the same way. Now talk a little bit more about Zach Levine and his improvements. What did you see more? What have you seen more recently in this season, particularly from Zach Levine in terms of defense and playmaking out on the court? Okay. So I guess two part question. I'll start with the playmaking. Um, Yeah. He's always been, just a guy that's relied on his natural talents more than anything else. I think he um, he started out as, at a young age playing baseball, and he only switched to basketball a little bit later, so he never really had those strong fundamentals. And his, his dad actually told him that, like, he, his dad was training him. He told the media that they only worked on offense when he was growing up. They never worked on defense. But, um, yeah, he's, he's just uh, – in previous years, he was not very good at making the right pass. And he would kind of go into actions with some sort of predetermined idea that, you know, this time I'm going to try to drive, this time I'm going to try to shoot a jumper, this time I might try to pass, but not really read what the defense was giving him. It's been a lot, lot better uh, this year. I think he might be, I saw this somewhere, I can't remember who, I wish I could cite the, the person. It might have been Billy Donovan that said that he's the most blitzed player in the league. So what that means is, you know, teams are bringing two. And when that happens, you have to pass the ball off and let your teammates make a play behind you. In previous years, he was not really good at that. And in fairness to him, his teammates were not good at capitalizing in those situations either. So I can understand why he wouldn't pe- want to pass the ball off. This year, um, Thad Young has been incredible as a playmaker. And a lot of that is uh, Levine's willingness to pass it off and let Thad Young make those plays in front of him. And also before Thad Young was uh, playing a lot. Wendell Carter was in that role, too, and he would pass the ball off to Wendell Carter all, all the time. The second part of your question is defense. Uh, yeah, I've been really critical of Levine's defense in the past. It has not been very good. I think he's been 
week as a help defender. And in this video that I just put out, I think some specifics that he's gotten much better at. He used to get caught on screens all the time. He's gotten much better at getting through those. His awareness on the court, he used to only focus on his man. And now you can see that oftentimes on plays, he'll have his head on a swivel. He'll be looking uh, to see, you know, uh, ball and man, and he has been much better at early positioning in help. So a lot of NBA help defense is just being in the right spot at the right time and cutting off different lanes so that players can't drive. And he has gotten a lot better at that. So it's just a testament to, I mean, this. everybody says that he's one of the hardest workers, uh, but it just has never really clicked for him on a field perspective. And for whatever reason, this season, I think it's starting to click. So the second half of that, front court or second half that backward I should say with Zach and Kobe. I wanted to focus on Kobe for a second. Um he's he's had an up and down season, I guess is the is the fair way to say. He's been a little hot recently, but he certainly was going through a bit of a slump uh, a week or two ago. What what have your impressions been of him and and how much improvement have you seen from him from year 1 last year, year 2? I think he's kind of the same player <laughs> to be honest uh, between those two years. Yeah. And the recent improvement that he's had uh, it's more of a function of his role change. So Billy Donovan said a couple games ago that they're going to spread the playmaking duties a little bit more. Uh, you could definitely see that his shot attempts have been coming a lot more uh, off the catch, which I think is smart. I mean, yeah, there were a couple of plays where they just gave it to him and tried to let him cook against the Clippers in their most recent game, tried to let him create in the pick and roll. And I mean, every time they've done that, it's been really ugly. So he didn't, that, that wasn't really his role at, at UNC and trying to learn that on the fly at the NBA is kind of a recipe for disaster. So yeah, he was good last year in an off ball role. Just, I, he, he's a, he's a great shooter. I mean, he's an incredible shooter. He does not need a lot of space to get that shot off. And um, that's kind of been the same thing this year. Like that's his one big NBA strength and just going to that more, allowing him to use that more, I think has led to better results recently, but the growth in the point guard area, uh, I haven't really seen it. How he just you... seems to me like a quintessential six man. Yeah, I, I mean, at this point in his career, definitely. Like we, uh, there's always that ca- caveat though, right? Like he's only 20, so a lot of point guards pick it up later. Um, but certainly, there have not really been any indicators that um, he is growing in that area yet. Now, how would you describe the coaching of Billy Donovan? in his first season so far with the Bulls? Well, it's certainly been better than the last guy. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I I think that the biggest thing about Donovan is, you know, the Bulls' offense actually is not that different from what they were doing in previous years. But it, like even dating back to Fred Hoiberg. But the difference is that Donovan, first of all, is getting these guys to listen to him. And second of all, he is putting different guys in better roles. Uh, the most obvious example is Thad Young, right? Like, Thad Young was just used as a floor spacer last year, and it was kind of ridiculous. And actually, they switched his role back to a more normal role, like halfway through the year. But by that time, everybody had stopped watching Bulls games. But Thad Young actually had a pretty good second <laughs> half of the year. And then that carried over to this year, where his role has been even more expanded. And, um, I mean, he's been, like, probably the second best playmaking big behind Nikola Jokic, arguably. So... That's all Donovan, right? Like nobody, no other coach put Thaddeus Young in that kind of role. And up and down the roster, I mean, aside from Kobe White, I think who has kind of been overextended, I think all the other guys, um, they are seeing pretty drastic improvements in their play. 
from uh, the Bulls have like a very similar roster from last year. So everybody is playing much better. And that's completely a function of being used differently, being used more intelligently by Donovan. You mentioned some of their veterans. I wanted to focus on the rookie with with Patrick Williams for a second, because I think he impressed a, a good amount of people with his play early on. Uh, how, how would you assess his game this season? And is his ceiling, do you think, one of the higher ones um, that the Bulls have drafted rookie-wise in a while? Well, the thing you have to keep in mind with rookies is they are almost never positive uh, contributors. And Patrick Williams, I believe, is the youngest player in the NBA right now, now that uh, Pokashevsky has gone to the G League. So I think right now he's probably like a net neutral to slightly negative player, but you have to keep in mind that, yeah, the standard for those players, 19-year-olds, is like a huge negative. So just to be okay is like a huge uh, indicator that he is going to be really good down the line. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's he's had a up-and-down season. He's definitely had flashes where he's looked awesome, and then he's had stretches where uh, he's kind of disappeared. But the role they're asking him to play is kind of insane. I mean, he's guarding like the best player on the opposing team pretty much every night. So I think that all things considered, he has exceeded expectations quite substantially. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely too early to make any grand pronouncements about him, but I'm, I'm very excited to see where he goes. Now you hit on this a little bit, but talk a little bit more about Thaddeus Young's role and how he's been able to uh, contribute. And also a guy like Ted, uh, Sadaransky too, as well, you know, that veteran leadership from him, how's that been able to uh, benefit the young guys that are in the starting lineup? Well, I think the other guy that has benefited the starters a ton is Garrett Temple. You can always see like when they cut to timeout or something, Temple's always talking to the younger players and discussing plays that just occurred on the court. But all these guys, Thaddeus Young, Otto Porter, Thomas Sadaransky, I mean, they just know how to play. And that sounds kind of cliche, but when you watch the younger players, uh, you know, there's times where when they're all playing with a group. Like they, they make a lot of mistakes and they compound because they make mistakes on the same play. Like the, the defense with the starters is really rough. And when those bench units come in, it just improves so drastically. So, you know, the way the style that the bulls are trying to play is a lot of passing, a lot of cutting. You see the cutting so much. I actually just tweeted out a, a compilation of, Thad Young and Tomas Sadaransky just hitting each other on cuts. Uh, they're basically like taking turns trying to one-up each other on these awesome cuts and passes to each other. So <laughs> that that's something that the younger players can definitely learn from. I think that cutting is a skill, like knowing the timing and knowing how to hit guys. And the bench units have been awesome. The starting units have not been at that level. So I'm sure that when these guys are in film sessions, they're looking at those bench units and saying like, you know, guys the young guys this is how you need to do it and that yeah it's great to have that example to show them that this is possible if you do it correctly and um all those guys are by all accounts been very high character so i'm sure they're uh very willing and open open to teaching the younger guys how to do it all right before we let you go is this bulls team a playoff team this year i think that goes back to the first question you asked me about uh what is this team you know it could be a playoff team for sure if they decide to go that route it seems like they're not going to go that route because they're still playing these young guys in their starting lineup uh i don't really know what's going on without a porter it seems like they're just kind of resting him to um preserve his trade value so i if, if you were to ask me i don't have any inside information on this but just my guess is that they're still gonna try to shop these veterans at the deadline 
And in that case, if they trade some of these vets, I mean, they are going to go down real fast <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. these guys have been keeping them afloat. But yeah, I mean, if they do decide to go the other way and just stick some of these guys in the starting lineup, um, Garrett Temple has been in there recently due to various injuries throughout the team. I think I think they could they they could definitely be like a top ten team in the East, which is all you need to do this year to get into the playoff turn play in tournament. So yeah, it just it depends on what um, management wants to do. Yeah, it'd be great to see some of these young guys get some get a little bit of playoff experience at least at least right now, even if you're not really trying to make a push. I actually think that it's play in tournaments is kind of a trap like if you look at the new lottery odds uh like the pelicans are a perfect example of this a couple years ago where they were right in that nine to ten range and they just tanked at the end of the year and ended up getting zion they jumped uh, i think like seven spots or something seven or eight spots so with the new lottery odds i think that the value of being like the 11th worst team is really really good uh, just because it's so much easier to jump into the top four picks. But I guess I'm kind of uh, digressing here. Yeah, like uh, making the play-in tournament wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But this is a really good draft, too. I don't know if you guys are do any draft stuff on your show, but it would be very exciting if the Bulls could get into the top four this year. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to do a little bit of a dive in because I know some of those top guys are... It'd be real nice. It'd be real nice for the Bulls to add, like, you know, a second type of playmaker that Zach Levine is right now. Yeah, there's a couple of them in this draft, so it would be a total franchise changer if they could do that. Cool. Well, Stefano, appreciate you joining us. Uh, I know you do stuff on Substack, um, and obviously you have a Twitter that, that you tweet about the Bulls as well. So where can where can people find your work, and where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, so, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm way too active on there. <laughs> uh, <yes. laughs> Aren't we all? That's a good thing. It's S-T-E-P-H-N-O-H. And, yeah, the Substack page, all the stuff is linked in my Twitter bio. So if you just look on Twitter, you can check all that stuff out. Awesome. Perfect. Stefan Nope, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys so much for having me. All right, I want to thank Stefan for joining us. Fun to talk to him. Um, and, and he had some good things to say about the Bulls. So yes, hopefully, listen, did. Zach, I, I, I'm a big Bulls fan, as everyone knows. And I think I think the tracks are pointed in the right direction. And so that's really all you could ask for at this point with a team that's still trying to evaluate all their talent with a new general manager. And a new uh, coach. And a new coach. So I, I, I think the general direction of the team is pointing up. And honestly, from what we experienced the past two years, two or three years, that's, that's all you can ask for. At this point, as a Bulls fan, is there some optimism and, and things are looking brighter at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, definitely looking bright. Uh, young guys are starting to improve Kobe White, Patrick Williams, and those boys. So definitely shout out to Stefan for coming in with us on points in the paint and rocking with us, you know, with the Bulls. You know, specifically Chicago's finest, you know, the Chicago Bulls. They want to get those rings, man. You know, they want to get back to those championship ways. But we got to start slowly with some playoff hopes. And, you know, it was good to hear from Stefan. All right, what NBA Twitter is talking about this week? What it do, baby? Yeah. Zach, someone is on the move. Yeah, like I mentioned, you know, Andre Drummond may be on the move because they've decided, uh, basically, the Cleveland Cavaliers to just not play him, you know, these th throughout the course of these last few games, which may be the result of why they've lost, you know, several games in a row here, and they're currently out of the playoff contention, which, the, which is so interesting because... Literally a month and a half ago, the Cleveland Cavaliers, man, probably not even that long ago, but 
not probably before the year turned over they were which is probably a long time ago but they were doing relatively well in terms of being in the playoff conversation now they've dropped all the way to 13th which is not too far off from the playoff contention when you look at the standings because you know they're still right there between that play-in game when that around that eight or nine seed they're still around there but they've lost seven in a row Ben. they lost seven in a row and only one what their last what one game on one game out of their last 10 so they're one and nine in their last 10 games they're only two games as you said out of that final play in spot but it feels like so much more yeah <laughs> at 10 and 18 you know it feels like they're done and i think it would be smart and in their best interest to continue to tank and, and continue to try to get as high of a draft pick as possible because this is not a team that is ready to do anything in the playoffs even if they make the playoffs by some insane reason they get into that playing game and they make the playoffs there and not going to do anything good the only good it would do is development wise keep yeah you could keep drumming and see what you can do i mean you really technically didn't get a full season with him so you maybe could keep drumming and see what you would have had but it may be even too late because you've already kind of decided with that factor to just you know put him on the trade block and move in a different direction which is tough for him because he was kind of looking i think to you know i know joe Noah may not like this but the drummer was probably looking to kind of stay in Cleveland. That's a that's a foreign thought to Joakim Noah. He has no understanding of anyone at all wanting to stay in Cleveland. <laughs> but I think it would be in their best interest. The only reason to make the playoffs would be help Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, help some of their younger guys experience a playoff atmosphere. But I, I just don't think the importance of that outweighs the importance of getting some more young talent on that team. It would probably be within their best interest to to continue to uh, to tank now. A team, Zach, that we thought was going to be good that ends up that ended up looking like they may be tanking now is the Washington Wizards. They're even farther back in the standings than the Cleveland Cavaliers. However, however, Uh-oh. they held the Boston Celtics to <laughs> 91 points. And if you have kept any close attention to the Washington Wizards and their absolutely horrendous defense, their lack of defense, they're giving up 120, 130 points per game, and they let the Boston Celtics only score 91 they that's like their championship. Like they should hang a banner in the Verizon Center where they are that just says Boston Celtics 2021 only scored 91 points against the Wizards. You are insane. You know that. <laughs> I think you got to make the season worth it somehow. And I think that's it right there for the Wizards. It's banner time. They held, they held a team under 100 points. They deserve a banner. <laughs> well, well, I'll tell you. The Wizards defense like that is that's a huge win. That should have been national you. news. I tell you what, the Brooklyn Nets finally did it for the first time this season, too. I think they got bigger aspirations, though, than that. But it was, it was the first time they did it, too, last week against the Indiana Pacers when they played, when the Brooklyn Nets played the Pacers last week. First time they held a team under 100 points, too. But I don't think they're going to be hanging up any banners. I think they got bigger aspirations with KD, <laughs> James Harden, and Kyrie. <laughs> I agree. But the Wizards, this is banner time, 100%. <laughs> They're they're just a team that's a mess, and we can always talk about them every single podcast and talk about how just incorrect we were at thinking that they were going to be a playoff team. And Russ just listen, context matters, but you're right. You about to say Russ ain't playing well, which he isn't. But they ain't got no time. To listen, they don't have Thomas Bryant, which was kind of a big deal yes. because they paid him. You know, Bertans may not be the guy that they had hoped for. You know, you were kind of big on Bertans a little bit too. Yes. How do you feel about that right now? He well, really in playing. So in Berton's defense, he, he certainly has not been playing up to the contract, nor has he been playing up to 
the line that he set for himself last season, which was just this knockdown three-point shooter, a guy you could always rely on to hit a basket if you needed to stop a run or you needed to start a run, whatever it was, Bertans was going to be the guy to knock it down. Now, he got COVID, and apparently, from what I was reading and some of the reports that came out, was it really hit him hard in terms of setting him back um, muscle-wise and not being able to participate in practices and things like that. I mean, he sat out of basketball for a couple of weeks. So it it takes a while to get your body back into shape and, and to get used to hitting shots again. So I think that's been a huge issue for him this season is dealing with COVID, dealing with being out for an extended period of time, and then having to work your way back into game shape and then get back into shape to the point where you're playing up to the level that you were last season, which was one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA. Exactly. And then you look on the other side during free agency, who were some of the sharp shooters that did get paid, who may be living up to their contract? One guy I want to mention, Joe Harris. Not to say that this is the betting corner, but I would want to if I'm you, you know, you listen to this podcast, if I'm you right now, next Brooklyn game, I'm definitely <laughs> Joe taking Joe Harris for over however many threes they got him for because they're, James Harden is looking to get him involved. Kevin Durant, Kyrie, they're looking to get Joe Harris to get those threes going. Why? Because once you got to locate him, that's going to open up more opportunities for the rest of the offense, like a Kyrie, obviously, a juggernaut offense with uh, James Harden and Kevin Durant. So take the over for the total threes with Joe Harris. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely maybe not the over with Bertans just yet. I think he's starting to come back into shape and I think he's starting to play a little bit better. And, and I think that's why we're starting to see the Wizards play, you know, a little bit better. They kind of righted the ship a little bit. They don't seem to be in such a free fall that they were a week or two ago. So maybe things are getting better in Washington, but certainly 91 points to the Celtics. Zach, that was, that was big news. Um, <laughs> other things NBA Twitter is talking about potentially a dunk contest at halftime of the all-star game you already know we we don't even like the idea of them necessarily having an all-star game but i guess if you're gonna do the all-star events i guess you might as well put them all in the same day so that i guess yeah. at halftime of the all-star game if we have one that's going to be something that transpires however so this is let me say this zach this is just coming across the twitter timeline some some breaking news going on on the podcast from our own sham sharania he said the NBA does plan to hold a three-point competition and a skills challenge in the pregame of the All-Star game in Atlanta. And then the dunk contest would be at halftime of the game. So everything would just be in one day, apparently, is, is what the NBA is trying to do. Which, again, not the smartest thing, but they're going to just try to make it one day. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea. I mean, the All-Star events all in itself is a bad idea. But if you're going to do it, it's probably is best to have them show up Saturday, do everything on Sunday and then get back to their destinations, respectively, you know, where they need to be in terms of organizations and everything else, players, of course, and all that. Having, I, it, yeah. in, having yeah. it in Atlanta, though, I'm just not sure because it's, a, you know, that's a high place right now for uh, COVID-19. So I'm just not sure if having it in Atlanta is a good idea right now. I 100% agree. I don't, I, especially with fans. I, I just don't know the thought process behind it for the NBA other than them wanting money, which I, I guess I understand it because of how much money you're going to be losing this season with no fans. You want to get as much of that cash flow as you can, but it's just tough. You hear these players talking about how it's just, it's not, there's pointless. There's no use to it. They, their hearts aren't going to be in it. It's going to be a very weird all-star game. I no think. fans. The All-Star game is for the fans. And so yeah. it's like, if you don't well, there will have be, fans. I think there will be fans there because it's okay. in Atlanta. Okay. But it's, it's not it's, as many. 
No, just yeah, it's not as it's just it's going to be very weird. And I, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they haven't decided if they're going to have fans or not. But I, I would assume that they the reason it will be in Atlanta is because Atlanta has had fans and they've been wanting to have fans at these events. It doesn't sound like everything's been officially official yet with the NBA. Um, but from what Shams has been reporting, he's been saying, you know, four guests are allowed per player for all star participants. Players have to be required to remain at the hotel during the trip, except going to the arena. Um, it says each player who participates in the All-Star Game will be required to travel to Atlanta on March 6th via private transportation. And then they have to leave following the game on March 7th. So it seems like they're very strict guidelines to what's going on. But again, this is seems unnecessary in a, in a time and a situation where you've been trying so hard to prevent the spread of COVID. And you just do this going on and, and there may be a higher risk of spreading COVID throughout the rest of the league. And the vaccine is something that has to be further discussed among the players and see like what's going to happen with them in terms of whether or not they're going to be on the front line to be able to take this virus or I mean to take this uh, vaccine. And so that's something that they have to look look into as well. All right. Other things, NBA Twitter, Dame time, as always. It's coming through. through. <laughs> coming That's through all. again, man. 34 points, 12 of 26 from the field. Man, you just got to talk about MVP conversation with Dame Dollar, man, this season. You have to. We know we know Joel Embiid is playing outstanding. Jokic is playing outstanding. Brian Brian, we know he's doing his thing in year 18 at age 36. We know this. Trust me, we just talked about it. So we know this. However, Dame Dollar just has to be, you know, because listen, and the reason why I bring this up, Luka was the favorite coming into the season, and he's kind of fell off the map in terms of MVP. Now, that's not to say that he's not playing well, because Luka is playing well this year, but they're not, Dallas Mavericks, they're not in a situation where they're, they're contending for anything right now. They're in a lower pack of the West, so they're not in a situation where they're, they're winning. They're not succeeding. They don't have any success right now. It's just a Luka show in Dallas. And so, but Dame, it's the Dame Dollar show, and they're in the middle of the pack in the playoffs. And he just, you know, gave gave that boy Luca, you know, the business the other night and closing that game out. Dame time, tap your wrist, because the game was over. I think it's time for some Giannis slander, which I'm very excited about. Yeah, this is tough. <laughs> he has been extremely disappointing, at least to me, and how his team has been playing and how he has been playing this whole season for the Bucks. Yeah, it's tough, Ben. Uh, go ahead, man. If you wanna, you wanna dissect how bad the Bucks been playing, because you know I really wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to do that. <laughs> you know I well, wouldn't want to. We did it a little bit in terms of them just being stagnant on the defensive side and really not having any type of good offense. Nothing creative. They're not really playing Giannis correctly in his position. He should be playing a little bit differently than he is. It's just the, the team seems to be a bit of a mess. And as we said, they, they've what lost their last three games in a row, I think. And they still stand at second in the East. They're only a half game in front of the Nets and two games in front of the Pacers at four. So it's certainly possible that the Bucks could fall farther down in the East. They're obviously still going to make the playoffs, but they've been disappointing. They've been disappointing offensively. They're not as good as a defensive team as they probably should. Giannis, for all the good stats that he's putting up, he's averaging a double-double this season. He's 28 points, 11 and a half rebounds. I mean, you look at that and you say he's having an MVP once again type of season, but he's shooting 28% from three. He's taking four threes a game. He should not be taking that many threes a game. He should be more dominant down low. There's just so many things the Bucs could be changing. And the quote that came around Twitter 
was they said, listen, if Giannis is taking the last shot, we're in good shape, <laughs> which is 100% true. And Giannis Ooh, still has say to it like that. Don't listen, Giannis that. still has to learn. He has to learn that he just can't go balling right into the middle of the lane because he's going to be called for a charge. There's there's no type of attempt by him to escape contact or maneuver around contact. He's just bowling right in there trying to knock guys over. And a lot of the time, he's going to get called for a charge. And that's what's consistently happening. He puts himself into bad foul trouble. He has to sit out sometimes. And he's not a really good three-point shooter, so it's tough at the end of games if you're down by three to trust him with the last shot. It's, you know, it's just tough. It's it's tough to watch him sometimes. And it's hard to say this about a guy who's won two MVPs. And I'm not saying he's a bad player by any means. He's one of the best players in the NBA still. But he could be a lot better than I think that he is. You know what? You sound like a lot of people I know. I swear you do right you now. You know a lot the, of smart people. You know a lot of really smart people there. But listen, I got to come to my main man's defense, my boy Giannis. Listen, is he shooting too many threes? Well, in his defense, last year, he. this is so crazy because last year everybody talked about how he has to expand his game and he has to be able to shoot at all levels, especially in crunch time. So I'm going to give you the breakdown uh, uh, because Devin Booker said if Giannis is taking the last shot, we're in good shape. Okay, fine. Now, in Giannis' defense, man, that was a damn good shot. You you almost made it, Giannis. I promise you, you almost did. I was so hurt you didn't make the shot, like, because I knew the slander was coming. Like, I immediately after you missed, because you had a solid game considering all the details. You know, your guys, like you said, Milwaukee comes out a little sluggish sometimes. They don't compete at a high level throughout four quarters like they need to. And Giannis has brought this up earlier in the season, too. But shooting four threes, he just has to make two of them out of five if he if he goes two out of five i think that's decent you know that's 40 percent but then it just boils down to when do these threes come in what moments because now it's all about what shots is Giannis getting and when i'll say i'll say this that shot he took in phoenix that mid-range shot that he shot he didn't make it ben but i will say this he was close and he was working the mid-range majority of the game so he was already knocking that shot down with confidence. And in that same game, you know this has been a problem for him. He was he shot his free throws extremely well. So he made his free yeah, throws. Yeah, his free throws have been going down. Lately. So he's been yep. making his free throws lately. And 63%. 63%. Which is bad. But Ooh. he's been but he's been going up there lately. He's been going up there and, and uh, knocking them down with confidence. Especially after that one for ten game. This criticism for me is not coming from a place of I, I dislike Giannis. It's it's yeah. the opposite. I love Giannis. I, I love watching Giannis and I want the Bucks to be really good. So this is more just frustration with him not being as good as I think he is able to be, if that makes any sense. Now I get this I get the point of him shooting three pointers. I know he has to extend his game and he has to have defenders respect him on the perimeter in order for him to be dominant down low. But at some point, you have to just get rid of the three-point shot if your team is down and start focusing on on your interior play. Because if your team is down six, seven points in the third quarter and you're just running up to the three-point line and chucking up a three that's probably not going to go in, that's a useless thing to do. It, it's not helping yourself. It's not saying to the defenders, I'm going to continue to shoot three-pointers and still going to miss them. It's just bad basketball, in my opinion. So I think he could be playing a lot better. Now, he's a top five, top six player in the NBA. I'm not going to say that he's not. He absolutely is. He could just be a lot better than what he is right now. 
Yeah, he definitely could in terms of shot selection and closing moments. Definitely in like the fourth quarter and clutch situations, he can definitely be better around that time without question. Because like like Devin Booker said, right now it looks like if he's if Giannis is taking that last shot, the other team might be in good shape unless he's driving to the basket, you know, with an opportunity to really score at the rim. If it's a mid-range shot or anything like that, he may shoot it with confidence. We just don't know if it's going to go in. All right. Finish out the podcast, Zach. Overreaction. Or no. Or no, buddy. Buddy, uh, all right. This is we it's gotta. This is our duty. Get this out of the way. You know, every single year, this is what we do. My turn. You got your turn with Giannis. It's my turn with your boy, I'm Brad. <laughs> Brad Stevens. Listen, is he all on right. the hot seat for the second time this year? <laughs> is is Brad Stevens on the hot seat, Zach? Is that an overreaction to say Brad Stevens is on the hot seat? And again, don't forget. Every single year, we have to say, is Brad Stevens on the hot seat at least once? At least once. And so far, we've already done it twice this year. Yes. And I get it because I called it out before when they were a little sluggish. But I will say this. They miss Marcus Smart. He's so critical to their team. They and I, I didn't realize it until he was gone. Like once he was gone, I really realized, you know, due to injury with him, I believe it's the calf strain. So with him being out, they really are in a situation where they can't really find who's going to be able to guard the best player in certain situations, which would normally be Marcus Smart. He would be able to he would have that assignment, you know, guarding the best player on the other team and, and obviously contributing on offense like he does that. And he makes good plays. He sets screen, you know, sets good screens. Uh, he does the dirty work on the defensive side. He draws charges. Probably one of the league leaders in drawing charges as well, Marcus Smart. And so I think they miss him a lot, and I think it's shown a lot recently. I agree, but I think they should still be playing better. They should not <laughs> be losing to the Pistons. That's true. That's very true. But in the Pistons' defense, they messed around and beat two good teams last week. So crazy, Ben. They messed up some money with the Brooklyn Nets, and they messed up the money with the Boston Celtics. Two games, twice now. They've lost to the Pistons. They've lost to the Wizards. As we said, 91 points against one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA in a long time. They scored 91 points. It's just, it's the inconsistency that I think is... And it could be the players. I don't know if it's strictly on Brad Stevens for the inconsistency. I don't know if it's on the players strictly for the inconsistency. I don't know if it's on a mixture of both. I tend to lean a mixture of both because if a player is having a bad shooting night, it's hard to blame the coach, but you kind of have to form the game plan and make adjustments as the game goes on too. So I think it's a little bit of both. And it's continued through his whole tenure. On the Celtics, they have been inconsistent through his whole tenure. There have been times in games where they lose, and you're thinking, how the hell did they lose that game? That is a game they should not have lost. And then they lose two in a row to the Pistons and the Wizards, and then they come back and they have an amazing game. And Jason Tatum looks like the next LeBron James. And you're thinking, <laughs> okay, the Celtics are back. They're a really good team. And they do that for a couple games, and then they lose another game where they shouldn't. It's just very inconsistent. Yeah, the inconsistency is definitely there with the with the uh, Boston Celtics. Now, against the Washington Wizards, it was real bad, specifically in the third quarter. And I remember watching, 
because Brad Stevenson took a timeout after Jason Tatum missed a layup and didn't get back on defense, which I yelled at my TV, get back. Like I remember, <laughs> I remember yelling at my TV, get back. Like, I remember saying that. They took, the time, they took the timeout, and I remember watching the game. The next four possessions, I literally remember, because I remember someone tweeting about it after I, you know, I'm watching the game, so I, I'm watching the game, looking at tweets. So I remember seeing it. It was a turnover, next possession. Turnover, the next possession. And then two more following that. And then Washington's Wizards lead ended up growing to like 25 or 24 points. And so the adjustment situation has to be looked at from Bad Stevens. Like, where are the adjustments that you are making throughout the game? Because we saw that he didn't do it in the bubble with the Miami Heat last season in the playoffs. Like, we saw that. So is he on the hot seat, Zach? Is it overreaction to say he's on the hot seat? He definitely has to be on the uh, hot seat, without question. He doesn't. He has to. He has to. And listen, every time Brad Stevens is on the hot seat, as someone who went to Indiana and follows Indiana basketball, his name continues to pop up. And his name, I think, will forever continue to pop up to be the next head coach of the Indiana Hoosiers. So I'm excited if he does end up leaving the Celtics. Maybe he'll go and coach the Indiana Hoosiers. He had a lot of success in college with Butler. So it's just very funny because almost every single year, as we said, he is on the hot seat, apparently. And then every single year, his name gets brought up by Indiana fans wanting him to be the next (laughs) coach of the Hoosiers. (laughs) So I I, I do think this year, though, as you said, I think this year he's closer to being on whatever hot seat it may be than he has been in any years past. Just because of, of, of how the Celtics have played, especially the last couple of games. And I think their playoff performances in, in the past couple of years as well. And all it and all it takes is young stars to just sign off, you know, to just sign off on a coach that that they don't want to be with anymore. Like all that's all it takes. You know, we all know it's a player driven league. So all it takes is Tatum and Brown to not be happy and to go to Danny Ainge and say that you know we no longer are happy and satisfied with the coaching of Brad Stevens. Like that's all they would have to do in or demand trade or demand a trade or some crazy would spiral with their superstars, their two stars, uh, Brown and Tatum. If that situation was to manifest itself where they're just unhappy and they call out on it and speak on it, you got to point to Brad Stevens because these are the young guys right here. These are these are your future players, uh, Jalen Brown and Jason yep. Tatum. I, I hope that they continue to play well because I love Jalen Brown. I voted for him for the All-Star game. I, I, I think too. he's he's absolutely an All-Star, 100%. And I think we agree on that of how, how good he has played this season. Um, and he has continued to improve year after year. So you have Brad Stevens helping some of the young guys improve a little bit, especially Jalen Brown. They do need Marcus Smart, but he is he is such a crucial part of that team. Um, so we'll see we'll see where the second half of the season goes for the Celtics. And again, very important, of course, the playoffs and how they perform in the playoffs. This was a team a lot of people expected to get to the finals last season, and and, and they just did not do that. So I, I do think. Brad Stevens is on the warm seat. I think we could say he's not going to get fired if they don't make the finals this year, but he's uh, people are talking. People are talking more than we have seen in years past. Um, His name was trending on Twitter after they lost to the wizards. And he was, he was one of the trends on Twitter because people were tweeting about him and, and you had Boston fans who were upset with him. So that was, that was really one of the first times I have seen his name trend in that capacity after a really bad loss, which I, which I think means that seat's warming up just a little bit more than we're used to. Well, we hope that it gets warmer here in Chicago as we this do. concludes this edition of 
Points in the Paint podcast presented by Stadium. Your boy, Zach Badgerhouse. And, of course, Ben Wittenstein. We got to thank Stefan No for coming on and joining us with the podcast, talking everything Chicago Bulls. Appreciate him for joining the podcast. Make sure you follow Stadium on Twitter. Make sure you follow Shams. Because he's breaking NBA news as we record. So you always want to follow Shams for all your latest and uh, best NBA news and everything else in terms of all NBA. And then, of course, you got to listen to Trash and Treasure with Amina and Felder. And we got to get Amina on back on at some point, too. But they come out every Thursday. Great content, exclusive interviews. And you'll hear from us, Zach and Ben, next week. Points in the Painters.